This is Hitting the Mark, conversations with founders and investors about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success, with your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Garhalter. If you look up the word flavor in the dictionary, I mean, it, has, it says character you know, the essential character of something. And so when we think about our company, we really think about flavor a lot. You know, that flavor is what surrounds you. It's who you are, what you do. It's your bookshelf, your record shelf, your travels, everything that makes up you and certainly how we work together as well. This was Jenny Brittenbauer, the James Beard award-winning pioneer of the artisan ice cream movement. That is right. If you had a small batch ice cream as a culinary experience lately, you have her to thank for. Jenny built Jenny's into a cult brand with dedicated followers and hundreds, if not thousands, of copycat brands. To finish this year off, having her on this show is truly an early Christmas gift for myself and subsequently to you. We were fighting some sound issues throughout, but in the spirit of the holidays, please try not to focus on those and instead on the story and the brand insights from one of the most admired culinary brands of today. Here's my conversation with Jenny Britton-Bauer. Welcome to the show, Jenny. It is a tremendous pleasure and honor to have you on Hitting the Mark. I'm so excited to be here with you. Well, thank you so much um, for taking the time in this pre-holiday frenzy. We talked about it a little bit before before we got on air, but this now marks officially our holiday podcast episode. And ice cream in winter is a thing now, <laughs> at least based on your gorgeous holiday catalog, which I reviewed on Instagram. Um, you even have a gift concierge team to help pick out flavors. Can you take any credit for the year-round ice cream trend since you're cited as being the pioneer of the artisan ice cream movement? <laughs> I don't um I don't know. You know, I'm from the Midwest, uh and so we eat ice cream year-round here. And that's um something I grew up doing. Of course, we eat more ice cream in summer, but um but we definitely eat ice cream uh, all year round here. So I grew up doing that and um at, and and then when I started my business, I knew that, you know, business goes down as soon as it gets cold out. And yeah. so we needed to work harder to bring people in. And so I was able to make many flavors each month, each week, that would be flavors that you only wanted to eat during the holidays or during January or February. And then by March, we're back up and, and going crazy. So we really, really um, engage our customers for the holidays and make flavors that you just really crave during that time. And then, um, and then move on into deep winter, which you really have to fight for every sale. Um, but it's a lot of fun. We do these big bake shop flavors where you make handmade marshmallows and sauces and all sorts of things that go in the ice creams. And I think that that's what brings people out and it, and it gets us through the winter. And then, and then all of a sudden everybody wants strawberry again, you know, as soon as the first warm day hits, you know, of course, we're still two months away from actually having uh, fresh strawberries available in the gardens and farms. Um, but it's just, it's a funny, it's a funny way to sort of plan the year, I guess. But we do a lot of holiday gifting as well. So right now, um, you know, UPS or, or, uh, or I guess it's FedEx has a truck sitting and they'll probably fill up two trucks today um, from our, our loading docks taking gift 
packages and beautiful boxes of ice cream all over the country. So that's a big part of what we do as well. So it's this whole storytelling through ice cream, which makes just such a beautiful gift. And so we've got this beautiful box where you unbox it and that's where the catalog comes in. So it's been really um, fun. And we've been doing this since 2004, shipping ice cream across the country. That is really amazing. And you know, it's, it's, a, it's a culinary experience. It's like a, a year round culinary experience. So why would it want to stop at a certain point? And, and I'm actually interested um, in, in how you got into ice cream because it's very different. You were fascinated with fragrances and you realized that ice cream is scientifically and mathematically prone to be the perfect carrier of scent. Can you tell us a little bit about that epiphany and, and what some of the first flavors were that you created uh, after you had that really yeah, so I was studying art. My grandmother is an art teacher, and so I grew up um, in the art classroom. Um, so I went to art school, and I was studying uh, mostly illustration and painting and a little bit of sculpting and other things, and then a lot of art history, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And um, and then I began to really lock into like my uh, sense of smell, and I just realized that like I, I have a very developed sense of smell. I um, grew up going to the forest throughout the entire year. And I think there's something about that with my grandmother, who is an artist. And there's just, when you spend a lot of time in the forest, there's just so many scents that, that surround you all the time. And you could put me in the forest to this day, a deciduous forest, and I can close my eyes and tell you what the season is probably just hmm. by the scent. Um, so it's very connected to my sense of smell and I knew it. And so I was thinking about what I could do with that um, from an art perspective. And um, I happened to also be working in a French pastry shop and the the owners were um, French. It was a family and they were wonderful. And I was absolutely in love with them. And um, and all of the French people from Ohio State University, it was right down the street from Ohio State University, which is a massive, massive city of a university. And all a lot of the French people who were studying there would come in. And so it was a wonderful, active environment where I could learn a lot. And, um, and I was um, making pastries there, learning from the chefs that were in the kitchen. They were all from France. I mean, almost everyone in the entire restaurant, except me and maybe one other person were French speaking. Um, but I was learning about pastries and what goes into that. I actually happened to meet a, a, a French student who worked in the chemistry department at Ohio State who would bring me little scents, knowing that I was kind of into this. I mean, you know, things that go on in your life. And I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with scent through art. But I was also doing pastry. And I was thinking, like, could I, is pastry my future? You know, should I quit art and go into pastry? Because I loved it so much. And I love flavor. And I love Scent, even pastry is a lot about scent. All food is about scent. I mean, you only yeah. taste five things on your tongue, sweet, sour, bitter, salty, and then savory, and everything else is a scent. But um, quickly realized that, um, that, that ice cream would be a fun carrier of scent. So I took a store-bought ice cream, and I mushed rose petal. I had a really expensive Bulgarian rose petal <laughs> um, essential oil. And at one, you know, it was like, I don't know, it's $400 an ounce. I probably had $25 worth, you know, it was like several <laughs> drops. And I put one drop in um, in a pint of ice cream and um, it was absolutely gorgeous. Um, but that was when I realized that, oh my goodness, because I had done pastry. And so I knew something about butter fat. I knew that like butter melted below body temperature and that it was known to absorb flavor and scent. And, um, and I knew that from my grandmother, she would say, don't put the onion next to the butter, you know? <laughs> so, um, or, you know, if you're in certain regions in France, you might actually put the truffle next to the butter, but um, because it will absorb the scent coming off of whatever it's around. And that's yeah. what the fat and cream is. So I knew this because I was doing it. And so I knew that like, oh, like once I, once I realized that like I, I licked the, the, you know, ice cream that had this, this beautiful rose in it, 
I knew all of these things that came together, like all these sparks were flying at that exact moment, which was, wow, all ice cream is about scent. It's the perfect carrier of scent. It's almost like edible scent. And I wasn't into like fake fragrances or whatever. I, mean, I think it's kind yeah. of a fun world to be in, but I was really more into like real scent and like things that, um, you know, I was collecting were all like from flowers and from herbs and things like that and mosses and all of that. And um, anyway, I just, I realized in that moment that first of all, even cheap ice cream, even like a synthetic vanilla is also, you could think of it as an edible perfume or, you know, um, and, but what are we missing in American ice cream that I can add to it? And so I, I knew that like, this was going to be my entire future that I was going to be exploring ice cream through this. I mean, I literally had that kind of epiphany hmm. and this was in 1995. <laughs> so I really had this whole thing by 1996. I had a little shop in the, in, in an indoor public market here in the middle of Columbus, which is in the middle of Ohio, working with farms in the surrounding from the surrounding countryside and using the ingredients they were bringing me to steep in the cream and infuse scent that way. That and, is, and there you go. That's that's fascinating. So moving on, um, I, I met you at um, NPR's How I Built This Summit with Guy Ross, which was amazing this year. Um, I was a mentor. You were interviewed by Guy on stage. Um, I believe it was the second time you got interviewed by him. Um, and you talked about how people said it was impossible to ship ice cream. And, and you talked about this, you know, at the beginning of, of, of this episode. And you proved them wrong by actually creating containers that were defying the odds. Can you tell us a little bit about that time and, and, and why did you feel like you need to invent it? Was it just you needed your ice cream to travel across the country and it was the only way to scale? Well, it was a combination. Thing. So I, I think there were people who, were, who had figured out how to ship ice cream, but they were doing it like... Um, in a very, very expensive way. It was, you know, overnighting only. And, you know, so one of the things that we did was make it much more accessible. So you could, we could do a two night or two day, um, a lot of using a lot of ground that enabled us to use ground um, shipping instead of air shipping, which, which reduced the price of shipping by a lot. So that made it more accessible to more people. Also in Columbus, we are, um, within a day's drive of about 60% of the population of North America, I think is the uh, official. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's, um, so we really can use a lot of ground shipping from here, which was really great. And then uh, we started our website in 2004, started shipping on there. Um, we got a few high profile um, customers that led to a few national, uh, some national press, which was really cool. Uh, at one time, you know, just being young and not really knowing what I was doing at one point, I called, uh, Florence Fabricant at the New York Times. And I was like, hey, you know, just wanted you to know. And she's like the one that writes about new products. <laughs> but I didn't, I just, you know, my, I just didn't know. And so I, I called her because I was like, you know, we're doing this really beautiful ice creams in, in Ohio. And like, I just thought it'd be something you would like, uh, you know, because I, I always wanted to live up to the standards of like, you know, sort of beautiful pastry shops and chefs that I'd seen around the world. And certainly, of course, in New York. And she goes, um, well, can I get it in New York City? And I was like, no, not yet and she was like well why don't you call me when i can and she was sort of <laughs> polite but like yeah no i don't write about just stuff like that like i i write for the new york times and so i realized <laughs> that was a stupid call i was okay but what it did was i was like i need to make sure that that people can get our ice creams across the country in order to get um national attention and it worked. So immediately we started getting, we were on the Food Network. I think we were on the Food Network five or six times in, in a period of like four years. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. And then, of course, the New York Times and basically every other food magazine out there. Uh, so it quickly, um, what happens is that once we start to get big pieces, then you start to see other ice cream shops pop up in this sort of model. 
um, across the country and even around the world. And then it starts to pick up as a trend, which is pretty exciting to watch. Absolutely, yeah, and and taking the responsibility or being being a part of this um, of this next phase, this next culinary phase is 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 beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. During the summit with with Guy Raz, uh, when you were in stage, you also said, and I paraphrase you here: make one person really happy, and then move on to the next. It takes time to create a meaningful community that feels the right way. When and how did you know that that your brand, um, and maybe it was still Scream, or maybe it was already Chinese, but when did you know that it was actually creating a meaningful community around it? When did I know that? Um, well, I know that when I when I, ha I had my first company, which is called Scream, from 1996 to 2000, and then I closed that. I'd made a lot of mistakes, but also was starting to get a little bit like I started to understand ice cream a little bit by the end of that. So I had a lot of positives. But um, when I opened Jenny's, I I solved a few mistakes and uh, or, you know, some of the things that I thought didn't work. And at that point, we had such a long line. And I thought, I'm going to keep this going however I can, you know. Um, and And then it was just like, again, it goes back to that one person at a time being a communicator, making sure that when I go through the trouble of making this ice cream with these strawberries that the person who's about to eat it gets just a, enough of that story so that it slows them down to remember that moment a little bit deeper and to experience it a little deeper. And I just remember just thinking, I'm going to keep this going. And it really does feel like almost like it is a chain after that. You know, you, mm -hmm. it, it really is about one person at a time and it is about your team and, And, you know, every interaction and listening a lot and all of that. So I don't, I think that it was more for me a determination. And I will say that, and I think you probably know this just as well as anybody else, but it wasn't because we had a beautiful visual identity. It wasn't because we had gorgeous light fixtures or tables, or we had these incredible uniforms. We weren't communicating through that. We were communicating through ourselves, our facial expressions and our ice cream, our actual product and sort of our own reputations, which I think is true today, even though now we have much more beautiful sort of visual identity and experiences because we've gotten better at that. We do all of that in-house as well. But back then, we couldn't afford any of that. So it was really just me in the market with a couple of high school kids really trying to do a good job. And I feel like that that is a that that's still what we do. And now we're mm -hmm. 1,800 people in this company. And I really do think that that's the brand, that's what it is, you know? Everything else we do, any kind of visual representation of that uh, is a representation of that, you know? And that's what it goes back to. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, you know it's funny. You actually started your store in in Venice Beach, uh, one of one of the many uh, locations in in Venice Venice Beach and Rose Avenue, where is, which is exactly where I started my first company in uh, 2001 as well. So, um, oh, and, wow. and what's really what's really interesting is what what you just said. Um, I drove by a store in Venice Beach a couple of years ago, and it was a it was one of those hip um, surfboard stores, and uh, they had a burglary overnight, and um, they had a big sign um you know over over the the window that got broken into and it said um you can't steal 
our vibe. And I think it's so cool. You can't steal our vibe. I mean, that's exactly what it is, right? Like people can try to emulate you to to, to be like you, to create these, um, you know, kind of, you know, this, this similar ice cream, a similar experience with the lighting, with the design. But it's really about that soul. It's really about that that vibe that, uh, that yes. Chinese has, right? And you create it over years. And that's, you know... One step at it's a time. so many tiny things that nobody will blink into every one of them or notice every one of them, but they all add up and you feel a certain way when you're in our world. Sometimes I think about the difference between like entrepreneurship and business and they're very different things. Entrepreneurship, most, well, actually every entrepreneur I've ever met has been motivated much more by community and by their own sort of creativity and imagination and, um, and any money that they get, they sort of use to further that. That's mm -hmm. what it's about. Whereas business is really motivated by money. That's your sort of scorecard. And business is a sort of complex structure of teachable disciplines. You can all, we can all learn them and we can also build a team with people who really get all that stuff. But entrepreneurship is really different. It's far more about, um, you know, I guess, you know, all of this like sort of feeling and emotion, which is, which is much more in that sort of branding world or whatever. But I think that sometimes when, even like when you get people who, you know, once you become very successful, you, you, you know, other people want, in on that. And a lot of times they uh, can look at it from the outside and say, okay, this is what's happening. You know, they're dropping flavors this often. They're creating flavors that do this and that gets media attention, but they also have classic flavors for other people and blah, blah, blah. And you can sort of put it all out linearly. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many sort of copycats, I guess, I've seen over the years, over many years. Congrats. Come in yeah. <laughs> and they, but, but they, but the graveyard is full of them because yeah, exactly. it is so much more work and it's so much more, you really, it's, it's so much more emotional and you really have to give everything to it to create something that people really do care about. Yeah. And I think in some, in some, um, um, business ideas, you can do it more, you know, sort of flatly, but I just don't think that ice cream is that kind of a world. Ice cream is a very emotional, very personal mm -hmm. thing to do much more than, you know, casual food or casual dining or some of the other, you know, worlds of, um, or, as, you know, business. It really is about personality. And um, and it's per every flavor is personal to someone. And so that's something that um, you can't just put out on a linear sort of business plan and be like, we're going to we're going to go open the Jenny's in Brooklyn or we're going to go open something like Jenny's in this place. But, you yeah. know, because it really is much, much more than it's so it's so fun that way, too. But Oh, of course. <laughs> exactly. That's why you do what you do, right? And, yeah. you know, talking about meaningful communities and, and creating more deeper, deeper meaning, you have been a Henry Crown Fellow. So first, congrats. That's a big achievement. Um, tell us a bit about that experience. And I'm curious as to how you see that personal growth um, affecting your, your brand's values and, and the daily actions. Well, we... Um, um, as a company have always been very connected with our community. First of all, we didn't have a lot of money to start up at all. So we just started, you know, working with other people in the community and just getting out and being as genuine as we could uh, in as many places as we possibly could. So we've been very connected. And you know, I think that our, our story has always been about asking other people for help and then hmm. kind of paying them back hmm. with helping them, you know, and that's this community spirited company that we've become. And that's what the Henry Crown Fellowship is all about. It's about community-spirited leadership. Um, but it's it was one of the most impactful things, maybe the most impactful thing I've ever done in my life. You know, we get into these, onto these like islands when we're entrepreneurs. And it's actually a very lonely, you kind of get used to being alone because, you know, your ideas are usually, you know, other people think of them as really stupid <laughs> and then you figure <laughs> out how to make it work. Um, but, you know, you don't, it, it's, it's actually hard to get people to... Uh, 
come on board, you know, and you're just living out there all the time doing that. Uh, but the Henry Crown Fellowship finds a lot of people who are in kind of that same place in their life. And usually it's sort of at that moment of of change in a life or, or there's an impactful moment happening and inflection. And they put all of us together and it's this mosaic of people from all different kinds of businesses, all different levels of success all over the country. I think they have 40 something points of diversity. And then they put these 20 people together in a room and you, and you spend four weeks together over two years. And it, it it's incredible. And you learn about the history of how leadership sort of works in the, in the, in the world uh, back to the ancient philosophers um, and you start to to look forward and and think about what your impact um, can be in the things that you, it really makes you very aware of every decision that you're making. In addition to the fact that once you're a Henry Crown Fellow, you really do represent the Henry Crown Fellowship mm-hmm. in um, your life. And so there's something really special about that too. You really do think a lot about every action that you make, even more than you did, I think, before. So subliminally, it becomes part of of everything Jenny's does um, as as a brand um, because because it's your it's your actions, right? I think it does. I mean, we want to live up to the expectations there, but also it's really beautiful. It's what we always wanted to do and maybe didn't know how mm-hmm. in some ways, or certainly me personally. And um, and just having that, I think it really builds context and perspective about where we fit in the world and how change is made and how um, how history moves very slowly, you know. And so. Uh, we all want things to happen right now, especially when we're entrepreneurs. But, you know, you have to just keep steady and never give up. And there's a lot of that that goes on. So, yeah, we, we've always we've been a B corporation for a long time. So we know that business is a can be a very powerful force for good. And I mean, even in early American business, um, the, the business leaders understood that. Um, and so it's an important part about business, whether you're a B Corp or not, um, how you give back to the world that that supported you as you grew and as you became your, you know, who you become. Yeah. And so uh, anyway, we've always kind of known that we, we were a certified B Corp for that reason, because we think it's important that we actually put our money where our mouth is, where we actually can they say, well, but we're certified. So we're not just saying mm-hmm. we're making these, I would rather be a B Corp and just say, we're, we're doing our best and you can trust us because it's certified by this third party than put another label on our pint, you know, even something like, uh, all natural or organic or not GMO. And there's so so many labels that make you sort of, <laughs> you know, and, and all of those are fine, but we just believe in much, much bigger picture, I guess, than that. Yeah. And it, and it's kind of, uh, you know, it's, it, it's already the, the status quo. It's like, yes, of course your ice cream will be, you know, all of these things. Right. And if you, if you have the B Corp uh, stamp on it, it kind of already in, in a way says, yeah, of course we do this. Um, well, and it's important to build your, your company as a community. And so people are the most important thing. That is the thing that's important, not organic, not non-GMO, not grass pastured, yeah. not all the other things you can put on it. But did you pay that person fairly, whether they're local, regional, mm-hmm. national, or international? Did you, where did you get it from? Were there children picking those things? I mean, mm-hmm. those are the important things that people are the most important thing that we can support. And of course, obviously like our land and our earth and um, children and all of that. So there's, those things have always been more important to us. And so I would rather look somebody in the eye and make an agreement that we're going to continue to grow and get better together than to say, I need, you know, I need organic strawberries. I want Mike and his brother Steve growing our strawberries mm-hmm. because we can continue to get better over time when we work together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you you named your brand after after your first shop in '96 was called Scream. Uh, you named the new brand Chenny's. Uh, yet at the same time, back then um, when you kind of relaunched, 
you decided to separate your personality away from the brand a bit. So long gone wear Jenny's pink hair and funky art student clothes. And instead, you started wearing pharmacy-like, you know, very white clinical outfits. From a branding perspective, this leaves me puzzled. Why did you do this? How did, how did this go? Suddenly it's Jenny's and it's your brand, right? Well, first of all, I didn't want to call it Jenny's. I wanted, I had a couple of other names, but because I had worked every day at the market, um, people and nobody even, people didn't even remember that it was called Scream. They were just like, let's go see Jenny. Let's go ah, see Jenny. So they yeah. all already called it that. As a Midwesterner, we don't usually put our names on things. It's just like something, we're all very sort of community oriented, I think. And, uh, and, and we're just very humble uh, to a fault, actually, sometimes. Mm. But I knew that um, my friends were right, that you can't add another, I couldn't, uh, it couldn't be called Scream, but everybody called it Jenny's. And then I have a new name for it when I launched again. So I did it. I called it Jenny's. And I was really happy that I did. I actually, it really makes you focus in a different way when the, when the company is named after you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I started like making, um, you know, I would I would make sure that every dish was washed. Every, you know, that we never ran out of certain flavors that were very popular. And you actually really do when you put your name on it, you absolutely uh, live up, try to live up to that. And it really makes a difference when it's your name, not just like some made up thing. Mm-hmm. Um. But the, uh, you know, the funny thing is when I was at Scream, I was, you know, a young woman, pink hair, um, trying to sort of break into the culinary world, trying to get a food critic to notice, um, trying, and I was in a market that was a culinary space and trying to get people to notice what I was doing. And I think they just sort of thought I was just goofy, you know? So yeah. from a branding perspective, I think I was giving off that vibe, to be honest. And then, you know, so when I opened Jenny's, I think, and this is that sort of, okay, uh, what if I was a customer, what would I want from my ice cream maker? I would, you know, I would want that person to be there, you know, and, and sort of look like they, they're they here to make the best ice cream in the entire world. So I started wearing, you know, a white shirt every single day, a white apron. Um, I would want to know that it wasn't about the person, but it was about the ice cream and the product and the team and the customers. So I just took all emphasis off of me <laughs> and made it about, yeah, the yeah, it's funny because even yeah, though I it is. It, I know exactly, right? At the same um, time, you called it tennis, which yeah, worked, yeah. You know, because it wasn't me just parading around with my pink hair and totally, you know, saying like I'm the artist. You know, come see what I've got to do every day. But it was me saying I'm taking responsibility for your experience, yeah, and that's all that matters to me here. You mm-hmm. basically signed it with Jenny's, right? Um, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and, and are there ever times, I mean, especially these days with social media, um, I mean, are, are there ever times where you, you wish you would be a little bit more removed from the brand? Because, I mean, you are the brand as a person. Your name is the verbal and visual brand anchor. And, you know, you are the representative of the brand. Are there ever moments where you just feel like it wouldn't hurt if I would be one step removed? <laughs> or do you actually fully embrace your true self transparently for the world to see I do embrace it. I do. I didn't for a really long time, only fairly recently. But um, but I do because I feel that I represent the people that work here and the work that we do collectively as a community. And that is um, is something that's very important to me. And um, um, I would never want to let them down. Mm-hmm. So it isn't, um, it's not that I go out and, and just represent me or that my wishes are things that, you know, I, I, purposely created this community after we had the failure of scream i wanted jenny's to be about people coming together more like a fellowship i call it actually we call it a fellowship a lot in the same way that like the lord of the rings is a fellowship Mm -hmm. 
where you bring, you know, the sword and somebody else brings the ax and, you know, everybody's bringing <laughs> something awesome in. And then together we become something greater than the sum of its parts. And so for me, I sort of feel like I'm just a part of that. Uh, and I kind of get to keep it going and I keep supporting it and trying to keep it healthy. And then I go out and represent that. And I can, um, you know, and also, you know, of course, I, I'll i know more. I still, you know, will know more about ice cream than anybody else um, in here. And I'll, I'll I'll hang out with our customers longer than anybody else will because I care so deeply about it. And uh, and that's sort of never not working that entrepreneurs do. I, I definitely do that. Um, but I do think that in that way, a founder's role is a very specific role. I'm not the CEO of our company, and that's important to us. But I, I'm the kind. I, I will say that like being a founder is a really specific role. You really do have to know more about your product and your customers than anybody else, and that is more than enough for a more than full time job. Oh, know? absolutely. And that's what I do. Yeah, absolutely. And let, let's talk about company culture for a minute, um, because because you you hinted at it. It it is important to you as to most other entrepreneurs who rely on the work of many, many, many others, right, to keep the engines going. Um, you said, and I don't know where you said it, it, it might have been on Instagram, you said, our ambassadors become Jedi's of emotion, facial expressions, and body language. They learn that flavor is everything. And by flavor, I mean character. They learn what it means to put your name on it. And other lessons about teamwork and community, I should know, I spent 10 years behind the counter daily. I use those lessons every day. How did you build your culture and, and what mechanisms do you have in place to keep it going? I mean, it is really, really difficult. I mean, I talk to people who have franchises and I talk to people who have 30 plus stores like you. Um, how do you, how did you create it and, and how do you spread it in a way where it is very intrinsic, but yet personal, but yet you create this, you know, linear, you know, brand experience? Well, I think now you don't have, there isn't a curtain behind the, or between the sort of back of the house and front of the house anymore in a business or a brand. And so, um, or at least with, with what we're doing and other, other company uh, founders and companies that I know are, are similar and that we actually are our brand. And so we are what we, you know, what you hope we are. We, we're not just pictures that we put out or ice creams we put out. We're the decisions that we make every single day, day as a team. And I think people want to work on teams that are really transparent, that actually are what you hope they are when you're on the outside. Mm -hmm. I always say we're not, you know, we can't tell every single story that, that happens here because it would be too many and it's just too much. It's overload. We tell our best stories externally. But the more you want to dig and go into it, the more your hopes are confirmed. Um, and so when you are company, when you're a company like that, and the word company is great because it means you're not alone and it means community. And that's how we think here. Um, people want to be a part of that. They want to bring their awesomeness into that. And that is um, that is how you build your culture is by being open to what somebody else is bringing in and not, we don't ever, we don't want everybody in the company to look like us or to have a specific look to them or whatever, you know? So we want people of all ages and all different colors and all different, you know, genders and all of that stuff. Like those are, that's, that's our company. That's who we are. And then that becomes what people know about us and feel when they're in our space, that it really is about character and flavor, you know, um, and yeah. every, at every level. And then what's great when you're a company that, um, that sort of lives up to your, your external, you know, voice internally, um, people want to be a part of that team. And then, so you start attracting some of the top talent, uh, in America. We have definitely 
absolute top talent here in America and not because we pay better than everybody else, you know, mm-hmm. it's because people want to be a part of what we're doing. And that's really wonderful. And, uh, and it's because, um, so I would say that it's like really hard and it's also not really that hard. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. Like totally. Goes through a training program. It's not like everybody carries around a mission statement. I don't think if you walked around this where I'm sitting right now and there's 40 people sitting not too far from me, I don't think that if you asked you, every one of them would give you a slightly different idea of like what we do <laughs> in this company, and it would all be right. Yeah. It wouldn't be one practiced mission statement. Yeah, you know. That's that's really that's really great, and I love I love the the metaphor of flavor, right? Like how flavor is actually part of it's this. Weird, company. it works so it works well. So because, well. <laughs> even when you look up, if you look up the word flavor in the dictionary, I mean, it has it says character. Yeah. You know, the essential character of something, and so when we think about our company, we really think about flavor a lot. You know, that flavor is what surrounds you. It's who you are, what you do. It's your bookshelf, your record shelf, your travels, yeah. everything that makes up you, and certainly how we work together as well. You know, and you said uh, about no curtain between back and front of the house. That's also true with no curtain between the founder and and, and the brand and the customer and all of that. Mm-hmm. And in April, um, you endorsed Joe Biden in one of your Instagram posts. Actually, you're pretty much a Joe, Joe Biden fan, I would say. <laughs> and, uh, um, I, you know what? Joe loves ice cream. And so um, and, and I do love Joe. I Joe um, was going through a really hard time in 2015. I was having a, a tough time, too. So he became really, truly a beacon for me. Um, I have to say that I am for anyone who moves um, us out of this era that we're in. And mm. so I am I will throw my support behind anybody. So I, I don't know if it's Amen. a complete endorsement. He got into the race and I just was given my friend, because at this point, Joe is a, a friend of mine, a fist bump and saying, man, I'm going to be behind you. I'll be behind you as far as you go and let's get you the nomination. But I would, um, I would say there's other people that I'm also right behind. Um, I, at the moment I'm wearing an Andrew Yang hat, the math hat. Um, (laughs) I have a hat from every one of the candidates. So I like many people, I am for whoever will win and, um, I'll put my support behind them. But I, you know, of course Uh, I love Biden because he loves ice cream so much. How can you not? (laughs) And And uh, he's an incredible human being, of course. And I've gotten to spend lots of time with him. So I do know that for sure. Um, right. And that's important. And, and, you know, uh, last February, you had this amazing um, Instagram post that read, Hey, FedEx, uh, t- Team Chenny's <laughs> loves you, but we're not playing around. Our customers are demanding action from us. Drop your support of the NRA, or we will be looking at other options. That's almost 100,000 shipments. And by the way, now I'm sure it's much more than that. And more yeah. projected this year. So um, do you feel obligated to utilize the power of your brand to create the change you seek and what would you say to those few that like your product but they don't share your political point of view um the answer to that is uh, the first part is yes as a human being um not necessarily as a company although our company definitely stands for um pe- you know character and flavor and people and you know we will always fight for human rights and humanity first kind of that sort of uh world we no matter what the political ramifications are whatever that that's just something that's built into our DNA and who we are. We don't pick candidates, you know, as a company ever, ever, ever. Mm-hmm. We, um, but we do believe that you should be you and that you should be proud of that. And whatever that is, you should rock it and, and, and be, um, be, be that, but I think also be open to other things. And so as a person representing that world, I get to do that as well. And so my platform is, is my stuff. It's the Jenny Britton Bauer world. It's not, the Jenny's world necessarily. I mean, they yeah. cross over, but on my Instagram, of course, 
the FedEx thing is a whole different thing. I was, as a mother, so upset about what happened in Parkland. It was, oh, you know, absolutely. It was during that yeah. time. It's not even and, political. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it really isn't at that point. Um, however, I learned a big lesson at that uh, during that that time. And I, I learned, I guess, uh, how big my platform actually is. And so I've got to be careful. And I know that because I first, I, mean, I don't want to alienate other people. Yeah. I do like people who have different um, opinions than me. Actually, I'm very, I'm more curious about you if you're different than me than I am if you're the same. Mm -hmm. So um, that's important. But um, I learned something with that. I haven't, I haven't done something quite so dramatic since then. <laughs> um, you know. And I'm picking in the past, so that's totally yeah. not fair. But well, it wasn't yeah. that long ago, you know. But no, yeah. nevertheless, you know, I do think that we can have, we can actually make more change, uh, slightly quietly than we can just by getting out and and complaining loudly. You yeah. know, so we have a position, we have a potential to actually make big change, and that's what we're focused on. That's what we're working on, and I think it doesn't. No, it doesn't always. Well, it, it doesn't really help. I and mean, I think that that actually that FedEx post did help. Ultimately, they did um, drop their. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. But no, and and, and it probably had little to do with us, but nevertheless. Oh, who knows, you know. right? But I mean, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure it's the voice of many that 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 creates yes. change for a company like that. And you know, your tagline is "Chinese makes it better." Um, and I think just with just just how how we talked about flavor and how it has you know double meaning that has double meaning too. Chinese makes it better, right? On the one hand, it's the product so and how meaning. it makes you feel, but it's it really encompasses most probably your brand's core values if you have written them down or not, right? It it is it is who yeah. you are. I mean, it's the, you know, you, you lose the game, we make it better. You win the game, we make it better, you know, and that's, yeah, that's yeah. part of it. And it's of course, you know, all of our, our community of makers, growers, and producers who are actually making product uh, and making our ice creams and you know that, so actually literally how we make it, but it's just a, it's a really fun, we've had so much fun with that. You created amazing ice cream, a beloved brand, but really you created a cult-like following. What does branding mean to you, Jenny Brittenbauer? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, it's I, again. I, I I just I would just say it means um, it, it's it's the culture. It's how you make people feel. It's who you are. So I always think of entrepreneurship as building your own world. Your brand is your world that you're creating. So I'm in favor of the Willy Wonka school of entrepreneurship. Of course not you are. whatever, you know, not the like <laughs> business school kind of entrepreneurship. And I think your brand is your world. When people step into it, what are they experiencing? What does it look like when they look around? What are they feeling? And that's what it is. Um, and that's been so much fun for us to create. And and we're still we're still creating it, you know? And the fun shows. Um, what is what is one word that can describe your brand? I like to call it your brand's DNA. Like if you would have to sum up all these parts, what is one word? Oh, I think if I was going to choose one, it would be belonging. Mm. Um, I I so when I started um, in ice cream, I thought, can I make an ice cream place, an ice cream shop, where people like me, and that was like the the artists of the world, or the people who wanted to be artists, or like the sort of alternative people, or the whatever mm. progressive thinkers wanted to go, because all the ice cream shops that I had seen were sort of backward looking. They were all nostalgic, you know. It was a lot of um, grandparents and grandchildren, and I was like, can I make an ice cream shop for everybody else? And that was just all of my friends. And a lot of us just didn't feel like we belonged in um, some of those other places. And so mm -hmm. we really created a place that celebrates as we keep going back to flavor and people and character and, um, and curiosity and all of that. And so that sense of belonging, we want you to feel that when you're in our, in our world, but that's kind of what we're trying to create 
as a as a company of people too, whether it's our makers, growers, and producers, or the people who drive our ice cream around, or the people who are doing artwork for us, we all sort of belong together. And people feel that. And looking through your Instagram and the stories that you oh. tell of customers, yeah, yeah, and and they come back every it's month to, yeah. So much bigger than ice cream, and yet if the ice cream wasn't perfect, they wouldn't come back. You know, I mean, oh, absolutely. If the ice absolutely. cream was not good, all of that wouldn't matter. You know, and and yet, and if all of that was. Perf you know, it's like, you know, you can just kind of, you have to have all of it. It has to all be there. None of thing has to be perfect, but, you know, it has to all sort of align in a certain magical way. Absolutely. And in, in the end, it's still about ice cream. And that, 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 may, that yeah. begs me to ask a question that usually you like to ask others. Um, Jenny, if you were an ice cream flavor, what would it be? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm using your own tools I here. Yes. Uh, if I was an ice cream flavor, I would be probably a caramel. We um, started making salty caramel a long time ago, and I, I had heard about it in France. I'd heard that in, Fran in France, there's like uh, burnt sugar, and then there's salted caramel. And I had didn't have money to travel to France, so I thought they meant like Swedish licorice. Mm -hmm. Like it was actually salty. So I started making a, a caramel ice cream that was like salty, a little extra salty. And um, But anyway, I would be that because... Um, Caramel is one thing I think it's caramelized. And a lot of people use a flavoring because caramelization is sugar burns at 385 degrees or whatever, and you've got to burn the sugar. It's very dangerous and it's a very precise process. But in the end, when you're like licking it off of a cone, it's very um, simple. It's just buttery. It's beautiful. It's nostalgic. It takes you back to your grandmother's kitchen or whatever. And it's... Um, And it's just this like really beautiful scientific process that makes it. Hmm. And so it's complex and yet also super simple. And that's it. And you like it for the process too, because you see behind the curtains as you actually <laughs> indulge in it, which is great. Well, and it's handwork. <laughs> we, can't, uh, we can't make caramel by um, time yeah. or temperature or any of the other things you can do. You have to actually get good at what it smells like and what it looks like. And when you're, when you're the one that's caramelizing the sugar, it's really not about time or temperature. It's about just how does it look and smell. So every batch is slightly different of our salty huh. caramel and all hand done. It's beautiful. What one piece of brand advice for founders as a takeaway, perhaps, perhaps uh, for for one of the hundreds of thousands that have read your James Beard award-winning New York Times bestseller, Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams at Home, and want to take a step at actually stepping into your footsteps and doing it professionally. Do you have any any advice that you learned over your gosh 20, 20 years of of, of running? <laughs> I don't know how many years it is exact, but yeah, about been, that, right? Yeah. Yeah. That and plus, yeah. That and plus. Yeah. I think it's um, um, to to create a vision of what's possible, of what you think you know you can do. So for me, it was you know to create this world around ice cream and to um, you know, I didn't know that there was no there was no guarantee I was going to make it, and there still isn't. But you get that vision in your head of what it looks like, and then you can kind of close your eyes and imagine it. And once you lock into that vision, um, then you can create you know, you can do one thing today to get you there and then one more thing tomorrow to get you there and one more thing the next day. And that's really what it has been for me. You don't have to start. In fact, it's better if you don't start with a ton of money. You know what I mean? If I had, if somebody had given me $10 million in 2004, I would have built a really big ice cream plant and that would have been, put me into major debt and I wouldn't have known what I was doing anyway. Mm -hmm. I had to learn all of these little, these, all of these things the hard way. And, um, And so then you just get this vision and you just do one step a day and don't go too fast. It's just that one person at a time, one step a day, but, but, but be led by your vision mm -hmm. and uh, dream about that. I, I still to this day can sit for an hour or sit quietly and put myself into that vision 
um, which I still have every year. I have a, a new ad addition to those that vision that I have off in the future. But I think that's important to be a vision led person and have a good imagination. One that you really enjoy spending time in, I think, like where you can really quiet yourself and sit there and just dream and then build that slowly. Love it. Absolutely love it. Listeners in the US, which I believe is the only place where, where tennis is currently available, um, who, who need a pint or three years. The book years. is in Germany. Oh, the book is in Germany. The book, the book is most probably global, right, at this point? Well, the book is um, in German. Um, you can probably find the book globally, but it is actually has been translated in German um, and, also, and it did really well. It's got, we've got like a new edition now and then um, in China. That's fantastic. So you can get it places. Yep. That is awesome. And and as far as uh, picking up a pint or three or six or nine, which I believe is how you ship them, um, yep. where where can where can people go? And and the last question, which is part of this, um, and in the same vein, uh, what are your top three winter flavors for people to pick? Oh my goodness! Well, you can go to <laughs> jenny.com. So it's j e n i s dot com. That's um, the easy part. All of the um, Whole Foods in America carry our ice creams, which is pretty great, and a bunch of other sort of top grocers across the country. You can go to our website and find a, what we call a pint finder, and that'll direct you um, to somewhere near you. Um, and and probably the top winter flavors. Well, we have a bunch coming out after the holidays too, which are going to be really fun. Uh, but right now, I'm going all in on the cognac and gingerbread. It's a dark Ooh. caramel sauce with cognac ice cream and this incredible black strap molasses gingerbread that we make. It's just incredible. Um, I also love white chocolate peppermint. And you know, it's funny. A lot of people love it, but it does not sell after January. And so we just <laughs> you can only sell it in December, and then after that, nobody wants it anymore. But it's really just such a great flavor, and we do it as like a pink. We color it with um beets and so it's this like pink and white swirl Ooh. with white chocolate and it's just incredible it's so good um and then we've been making sweet potato and toasted marshmallow forever and ever we actually blow torch the marshmallows in our kitchen so it's a really we make the marshmallows and then we blow torch them and then we put them in like a handmade sweet potato ice cream and it's it's so incredible but it there's there's amazing. many more coming next year and we have a lot of non-dairy flavors as well and those are um winning innovation awards and they're just gorgeous and they're not they're selling as well as our other ice creams, even with dairy eaters. So if you ever see any of our non-dairy ones, just get them because you'll love them. They're actually my favorites right now. Wow. And that's from a dairy person. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you, Jenny, for having been on the show. Um, it was so much fun, and we so appreciate your your time and your insights. And and thank you for not only what you're doing, but also how how you're actually doing it. And uh, and last but not least, happy holidays to to you and your family. Well, thank you so much. It's been so much fun to be here and happy holidays back at you and all your listeners. I appreciate it. Thank you. What a great story from college dropout who hated math to an innovation award-winning entrepreneur who is making more than just ice cream better. It is entrepreneurs like her that we can learn from how to craft true and meaningful brands. And I'm so grateful to have a Jenny on the show to round out this year. And I'm grateful for all of you who joined in supporting the show. I want to thank the new Creative Brand Mentorship Circle members, Xian Hishas from the Philippines and Goce Petrov out of Switzerland. The new Entrepreneur Brand Mentorship Circle members, Rushit Hila from Towson, Maryland, and Nathan Thompson from Redondo Beach, California. And last but not least, the first Golden Brand Circle member, Siad Aladin from Köln, Germany, and Devroni Liaisoy Lumandan, and Florian Philippe out of LA for upgrading to the Golden Brand Circle. 
head on over to patreon.com slash hitting the mark to become a supporter and to join this truly awesome community of creators. The Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by Happiness One. I wish all of you happy holidays. Don't forget to sit down and rethink your brand based on the many insights from the founders who were on this show so you can craft a better brand for 2020 and beyond. I will see you next time when we once again will be hitting the mark.